if you uh, would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, we started looking at this, been a while back now. But I uh, wanted to finish looking at this, and I'll be honest, I, the whole trip here this morning, thinking about this psalm, thinking about this subject, I just kept thinking, man, I fall big time short in this <clears throat> in fact, I got to thinking about it, and sometimes they say confession's good for the soul, right? But uh, probably in the last number of years, I'll just put it that way, this has been one of the most difficult uh, areas of my life, to be honest with you. And it's, it's interesting how, in thinking about just a lot of things, how... Uh, I mean, messages, Sunday morning messages, a recent, you know, pride, humility, think of that. Uh, think of that, the, the message that uh, Brother Gibbs preached it, uh, was sent out. Uh, I mean, just all that, this, this subject in Sunday school, even the, the lessons from Obadiah that, that Tim covered here recently. I mean, it, it all kind of works together, and, you know, it kind of it, it really has to do with a lot of the same thing. Sometimes we use different words and, and all of that, but really what it all boils down to is it, there's a heart issue at, at stake there. And uh, I don't want to say a whole lot more till we kind of get into this, but I want us to read the psalm this morning. Again, there's 21 verses, so everybody will get to read at least a couple times. Um, I don't have a handout, um, but um, <clears throat> also, Lord willing, okay, if I don't... Uh, chase too many rabbits or get bogged down in something. I want to ask you a lot of questions this morning, and so for participation. I've been a little candid already so far, so you can be a little, you can be put on the spot a little bit too, right? So anyway, all right, Psalm 145, let's do it this way. Um, We'll start here, well, let, let me do this first, and then I'll just let you all read the, the psalm. I want to read the heading of it, and then if Pastor Brinker, you'd start with verse 1, and then just go around till the 21 verses are expired, all right? So, Psalm 145, it's titled, David's Psalm of Praise. I will extol thee, my God, O King. And I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and, great, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and, thy wonders, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious, and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. Uh, to make known. 
to the sons of men his mighty acts in the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand, and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. All right, let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me, Father, this morning we just ask that you'd help us as we look at this psalm and compare some other scriptures, I'm sure, here and there. But uh, please uh, work in each of our hearts and lives. Please continue to work in my life. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would um, be able to truly uh, put to practice um, these really needed uh, things in our lives. I pray you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm, as uh, we introduced it last time, uh, which has been several weeks ago, but uh, it's titled David's Psalm of Praise, which when, when I think of Bible characters, I mean, you know, there's different things that stand out about different people, different, just like people in this room. There's different strengths, weaknesses that we all have, and, uh, you know, characteristics and various things, but when I think of David, to me anyway, I mean, it might something different might come to somebody else's mind, but to me, I think of someone who, you know, he's, the one designation that's used of David that, as far as I know, not, is not used of anybody else in the Bible is what? He was a man after God's own heart. And the thing is, with David, it seems that you see Again, I, I think it's just the greatest characteristic that is noticeable to me in his life that his heart was, ju he just had a heart that was drawn after the Lord. He had a heart that was directed to the Lord. And what in, sure, he made some mistakes. He, he was a sinner. He was a you know, fallible human being. But the overriding characteristic of David's life to me is that he, he had a heart for God. And part of that is, he wanted, his, he had a desire that God be magnified in everything and that God was the one that got the praise and the glory. When you read some of the Psalms, uh, I think a lot of them, some of them anyway, are tied with victories in David's life. And uh, some of them are headed that way and, and so on. And, and you know, um, the thing that you see in those psalms is that David is expressing, again, a great desire that God be honored and glorified in that because of what he's done. Or there's other psalms that uh, David wrote that, you know, are almost just the opposite. They're written at a time of great despair in his life. And, of course, there's, you know, there's a cry out oftentimes, plea, you know, a plea to God for help and so on. But still in those Psalms, you see pretty much consistent through anything that you see that David was concerned that God be glorified. And 
really, I think that's what you could say is kind of at the heart of what worship really is. The words worship and praise and so on, you know, when, when we hear those words, probably different things come to our minds, you know. Um, uh, in fact, let me, let me do this. I realize that I didn't give you a lot of time on this, so I'm putting you on the spot. And, and not everybody has to do this, but if, if we were to ask, all right, and say, all right, we want to give everybody opportunity to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, what would you say or do? What, you know, what would you, how would you respond to that? Again, I realize that's putting you on the spot, but. What comes to my mind is like just thanking the Lord for, well, there's so many things to thank Him for, but thank Him for specifically out loud and, and mm-hmm. others. Thanking the Lord for this today. Thank you, Oh, man. Uh, she jumped in there, didn't she? Uh, anyway, we could go, I mean, if anybody else wants to insert something, go ahead. I mean, again, I'm, I, I don't want to put, you know. No. Sometimes I think the greatest praise and giving, a lot of times it's in, in private, I'll be just driving down the road and just God comes over me and I just, you know, it's almost with tears and without words almost just God's good. Anybody else? Again, just quickly. I'm not trying to. All right, just. One of the things that I think is often associated when we think of praising God, worshiping God, is, and and it's, you know, what Brother Andy said, is thanking God for something, which, by the way, is part of worship. Okay, it is, it's an aspect of worship, all right? But worshiping God, praising God goes beyond, goes far beyond really thanking God, all right? Because think of it this way, thanking God is very right to do. We should do it, and, and I mean, I'm guilty of not doing it nearly enough. But thanking God is simply what? I mean, it's, it's a response... It's the right response to what we perceive something good that God has done in our lives, what we think of as good, right? I mean, in other words, so think of that this way. It's not that that's not, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a part of it, okay? But that shouldn't be all that praise and worship is to us, all right? Because in reality, worshiping God is centered around who he is not just what he's done. But that, that uh, and I was trying to think how to, how to you know, communicate this aspect of this, but, and, and it's, uh, it's kind of a struggle in a way, because, but the point is, it's, it's, it's really a heart attitude. It's, it's not so much just, you know, God, we've seen, you know, we've been blessed with this. We've received this. This has been done for us, and so we... We thank God for that. That's right to do. And a lot of the Psalms, by the way, I'm going to give you some, some words here with some numbers that I looked up uh, that are all associated with this. <clears throat> but it's right to thank God. But can we praise God even when 
we don't feel like there's something to be thankful for. In other words, we haven't seemed to have received a blessing. Um, many times when I think about things, you know, I think, man, there's been a lot of difficulty in the last number of years. That doesn't draw me just automatically to thanking God. My human nature wants to say, why me? Why this? Why, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's our human nature, okay? But what I'm getting at is a heart of worship is, is, is God-focused, not us-focused. And many times, you know, when there are a lot of, and I, I think I alluded to this the last time we started to look at this psalm, there's a lot of churches that have a, you know, a worship service or people, and, and the term praise and worship is kind of popular nowadays in churches across America. And uh, people go, and many times they, they, in, uh, they either just listen or they engage in actions, oftentimes it's associated with music, whatever, uh, that they do things and they leave feeling, and that's the key word there, feeling like they have worshipped the Lord. Now, whether or not they have, I don't know. You know, I mean, that may... But, but what I'm getting at is oftentimes we associate that with ourselves and, and not just God. In reality, worshipping God is about God. It's not about us. And it doesn't necessarily matter how we feel, it's our heart to God and, and giving Him what He deserves, what He desires. And again, this is, this is easy preaching, hard living stuff, because this is, this is not easy. But think of this, all right? I, 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 the words that are used in this psalm and, and some words that we generally associate with this concept, like been talking about, I... I did some searches, looked these things up, all right? The word worship, just the word worship, and I, I think that I had mentioned this one before, is used, the, the English word worship occurs 108 times in our Bible, all right? 108 times, and 15 of those are in the book of Psalms. 15 of those are in the book of Revelation. Remember, we talked about that last time, all right? Interest, that's an interesting comparison of two books there, Psalms and Revelation. Those are the, the word worship is used more times in those books than any other books in the Bible, all right? Um, the word thank, or now, when, and, and when I do these, I do it with what's called a wild card, so it's any form of these words, okay? Like uh, uh, worship, that, that's a lot more limited on its forms, but like thank, okay? That would be thank, thanks, thanksgiving, thankfulness, any word associated with that root, okay? In our English Bible, again, it occurs 139 times, uh, which is not much more than the word worship, really. All right, 32 of those are in the book of Psalms. The uh, word extol, remember we saw that in this psalm? And, and hopefully you remember what that word means. We'll get back to that here shortly. But the word extol only occurs six times in the Bible. Very lot less used word. But, and four of those are in the book of Psalms. One's in Isaiah. One's in Daniel. The interest in Daniel, it's Daniel 4.37, and it's Nebuchadnezzar using the word. Remember, after he was... Humbled, and then God restored him. Remember, he 
there's a, I don't remember how many verses, but there at the end of chapter 4, he's praising God. He's worshiping the God of heaven, and he uses that word, I, will ex- I extol thee. In fact, I think he uses praise and extol there in that verse. All right, uh, but only six times in the Bible. The word bless, now this one's a lot more tricky because this one is, it's a wider range of use because probably the majority of the times it's used, it's not used of like us blessing God like it is in this psalm, all right? Oftentimes it's human to humans, you know, or it's, uh, you know, God blessed Abraham. Obviously it's not talking about the same thing as us blessing God in worship, okay? So this one, and I didn't have time to look up all the different types and and all of that, okay? Uh, But 522 times, that's a lot. 132 of those, by the way, are in Psalms, all right? So probably in the book of Psalms, the word bless is more restricted to our subject. But uh, anyway, the word praise, all right? This one is used, uh, excuse me, 304 times in our Bible and 191 times in the book of Psalms alone. It's by far the most used word in the book of Psalms when it comes to this subject, okay? Um, And again, there are, there's more than one word, more than one Hebrew word translated praise, okay? Uh, But Probably the one that's more than any other is a word we actually sang this morning. And it's the word that's used in this psalm for praise here in verse uh, 2. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Um, The root of the word is halal, which, what's that remind you of? What we sing? Hallelujah, that word means you praise the Lord. It's actually an imperative, it's a command. You praise the Lord. Um, but uh, that's, that's almost a hundred times in the book of Psalms, all right? And so again, that's, that's really kind of the center, the more, most used word in Psalms when it comes to this concept of praising, worshiping God, uh, and so on. Um, and that particular word would have to do with, as we looked at it before, the idea of boasting about God bragging about God. In other words, using, it, it, can, it can be silent, it can be in your heart, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be verbally out loud, but many times it's in a context that it's intended to be verbally out loud so that others hear it. Because the point is we're trying to put attention on God and, you know, not us. Now, all that said, <clears throat> you remember the three words that we looked at specifically and I don't think we got a whole lot farther than that in this psalm, but in the verses 1 and 2, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. The, the three key words here that describe this heart of worship that David is writing about here or again, the word extol, anybody remember we talked about that word? That word has to do with the idea of lifting up God, all right? In other words, the, the focus is, okay, God is big, He's magnified, 
That ought to be an obvious thing, right? But, but this is a purposeful thing David's writing about. He says, I will extol thee. Now, we can't make God any bigger, all right? I mean, what our attitude toward God isn't going to change God one bit, is it? I mean, he is who he is. But the point is, we need to worship him, so in our hearts, we need to express, we need to remind ourselves, we need to look at him as he is big, he is magnificent. Um, and then, I will bless thy name forever and ever. It's interesting that the word bless in these two verses, these phrases here, occurs twice. Verse 1 and verse 2, every day will I bless thee. All right, remember the, the word bless here. Now, again, this word, there's a lot of words associated with the word bless, or a lot more than the others. But this particular word has the idea of humbling ourselves, making, putting ourselves down in front of him. Because, okay, the idea, he's big, we're small, right? And that's, that is at the very heart of worship, by the way, is... It's just like I'm convinced more and more and more and more that one of the extremely just the key ingredient, if you can say it that way, in salvation is just submission. It just a person will never be saved if they don't come to a point where they submit themselves to God because the heart of, I mean, what happened when Adam sinned in the garden? He rebelled against God. He unsubmitted himself, if you can say it that way. I mean, and, and that's the whole essence of what being estranged from God is. That's the whole essence of what being unsaved is. There's a lot of words that describe the lack of salvation in the Bible, right? Um, but that's really the heart of it. It's just you've said no to God. Whereas salvation involves a surrender to him. A lot of people don't like to talk about that because, you know, that, that makes, supposedly, I should say, that makes salvation seem like it's a lot harder to attain or whatever, you know. I mean, salvation's a free gift from God. But a person has to put themselves in a place, if you want to say, to be able to receive that gift. And part of that is... Humility, it's submission to him, it's a hard attitude. Again, it's not necessarily an act, well, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have, but it's, it's a hard attitude of submission to him. But at the same time, okay, the whole life of salvation, the whole Christian life, the essence of it is a submission to God. And, and that's, you know, and this is where, by the way, this attitude of worship becomes difficult. Is it, think about this, is it easy to submit yourself to God when He seems to be blessing you? When you seem to have things to be thankful for? But what about if you were in Job's situation? Everything, everything seemed to have been taken from you. Is God still who he is? God is still God. He's still 
good and righteous no matter what happens to you or I. And it's interesting how the world um, likes to blame God. I mean, I'm guilty of blaming God too, okay? But like even people that claim to be atheists, I've heard people that claim to be atheists blame God when something happens. Think about that for a second. It shows their heart, okay? And, and again, I don't think there are any genuinely natural atheists. People are educated into that or something. I mean, because at the, at the heart of hearts, we all know there's God. And, I mean, he's, he's, he's put something within man that man knows that. Now, can, can we sear our conscience? Can we push that aside, you know, bury that? Sure. But there's something within man. It's just, it's just like the same thing. Um, there's a line, all right? There's a line of some kind of right or wrong that every person has in them. Now, that's not the same for everybody, and, and that's going to be affected by a whole lot of things in our lives. But everybody knows that there are certain things you just should not do, whatever that is, okay? And for most people, it ultimately would be murder, all right? They would say, you know, that's wrong. And, and, and anyway, but... What I'm getting at with that is, okay, in many, many ways, I'm no better than an atheist blaming God when things don't seem to be going good in my life. Sometimes that may be a, a, a result of a decision I made or something, God's, you, you know, getting my attention or something. But you know what? There are times in our lives when that's not the case. Again, you think about Job, and expressly in chapters 1 and 2 of Job, God allowed those things to happen to Job, not because Job had done anything wrong. In fact, it was because Job had, Satan had noticed that Job was doing good, but told God it was only because he had blessed him. And so it was almost like God said, okay, well, you want me to show you? And that seems unfair to many people in a lot of ways, but at the whole heart of it again is, God is God. Now, I don't, well, put it this way. God is, the word fair is an elusive word, isn't it? It means different things to different people probably and so on. But the biblical word is God is just. He is right. He is just. He never does anything wrong. Okay? So even, and, and, um, not getting into all this here, but even when we do not perceive that we have something to thank God for, or that God, or that we perceive God hasn't been good to us, or maybe maybe that's not even the way to say it, but that we don't think you know we should have had this, or uh, you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, even in those situations, our desire, our heart should be that. We want to honor God. We want Him to be magnified. We want to put ourselves low before Him, and we want Him to get the praise. That's not easy to do. Not easy. And again, in these words, um, the word praise, I guess I didn't, we didn't 
we stopped at bless there, but in, in verse 2 again, every day while I bless thee, I will praise thy name forever and ever. All right, so David here uses the word praise, which is associated with the word hallelujah. It's, it's the idea of, it would have to do with the idea of, of throwing, if you want to say, heaping braggadocious statements toward God. In other words, speaking good of him. All right? And again, it could be in your heart, for sure, if it's just you, but there are times when it needs to be verbal because God uses that in other people's lives. Now, and I'll get to that in a second, but you, you see this concept of worship in this uh, psalm here. And again, this is vastly different than what is often associated with worship in our, in our day, in our world, oftentimes. Okay? Um, but you, you see here, I mean, and, and, and the fact is God's concern with the heart. Numerous times in the Bible we see that, all right? I mean, when, when uh, Samuel went to anoint David, not knowing who it was, right? He just knew it was a son of Jesse. Remember, Eliab came before him there, 1 Samuel 16, and, and uh, Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, he, he probably didn't verbalize that. It was probably in his heart. But God said, nope, not him. Don't look on how big he is and how good he looks and all this kind of thing. He's not the one I've chosen, right? Because God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. All right, so this idea is it's around the heart that's, that God's concerned with, but it will be evidenced in our lives if it's really in our heart. All right, in, in a chapter before that, one of the acts of Saul that sealed his doom, right, of not being able to remain king and pass on to, to his son. But remember when he disobeyed the Lord in the matter of the Amalekites and Samuel said to him, famous verses, so to speak, but in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 15, Samuel, uh, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. There's a lot of things in those verses, all right, even the last statement, because you've rejected the word of the Lord. Well, what did he do? He didn't, he didn't out and out say, no, I don't know. He said, yeah, I'll do it. And he did do some of it, but he reasoned some things out that seemed good to him, and he replaced some things, right? Changed some things which was wrong because God's the one that gave the directive. But in Saul's mind, he was doing the right thing. Yeah, this is a good idea. We'll use these sheep to worship God. I mean, seem like, I mean, you could, you could talk somebody into thinking that's a good idea, agreeing with you. But it wasn't because, again, God was looking at the heart. And Saul should have said, whether or not he understood it all, Right? He should have said, okay, this is what God wants. This is what we're doing. End of story. But it is a matter of the heart. All right? But notice also, and I'm getting back, trying to get back to the, the psalm here and going through this. Notice in both in verses 1 and 2, again, you see what I'll, we, we could just call the constancy of worship here. Notice he says, I will extol thee, my God, O king. I will bless thy name then notice the last uh, four words, forever and ever. That's eternally, right? And then notice in verse 2, what's the first two words? Every day, 
All right? It's easy to think of eternity oh, forever, you know. But then that's eternity, maybe you say, and then verse 2 is time, every day. So, but the point is, David's expressing the fact that not only, and this is a fact, if you're going to be in heaven one day, you're going to be worshiping God for eternity. That is kind of like the thing that's going to happen in eternity. Heaven's not about us, and can I, you know, I'm not trying to be insensitive with this, but heaven's not about us and our reunion with loved ones. Heaven's about us being in the presence of God, worshiping Him. And just think of it this way as well, all right? I mean, if that's what it's about, and that bothers us, we probably ought to do some checkup. But at the same time, it's what will bring us joy for eternity. But you, you, you see this. It's a... The point is, David's expressing that this is a constant desire of his. He wants to worship God constantly. And that should be, obviously, the, the desire that we have as well. True praise and worship occurs in spite of circumstances, in spite of personal fulfillment, and it is to be consistent in spite of whatever. And I, I listed here weather, trials, blessings, or not. And I put a reference to Job there. You know what? I find myself oftentimes complaining about the weather. You ever done that? <laughs> and I was going to give you an example, but it would be probably, I mean, you know, it'd be a good example, but it'd be wrong to even say it, you know? I mean, anyway. But, and that seems like, you know, something that's trivial, but it's really not. Because, again, it expresses that at least at that point, we are dissatisfied. I am dissatisfied with whatever the thing is in my life that God's doing. And that's wrong. Very wrong. So David, secondly here in verses 1 through 3 also, you see he has a dedication to praise and worship the Lord here. Uh, again, it, it involves heart. It does involve habits. In other words, there are things we can actually do in life that are praising the Lord or acts of worship. Now, again, there's, you know, there's obviously acts that people can do that aren't worship because their heart's not right. Okay? So if... if the underlying attitude of God being extolled, us being humble and low, and the desire that He is glorified, if that's not involved in it, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's not worship. All right? So it is possible to go through the motions. Probably happens a lot in independent Baptist churches. In congregational singing. I mean, even, just think about this. How many times we sing songs, oftentimes that we've sung hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. And it's easy just to, you know, sing those and, and can we know the words and all this, but not really be thinking about what we're singing about. And involved in that, then, our heart engaging with God, that He is, that we're trying to worship Him. At the same time, we can worship Him through singing. I mean, so in other words, 
the heart is the foundation of it. That's the root of it. But it can't. There are things that you know we can do that will worship God. But our hearts have to be engaged in that. And ultimately, maybe you could say it's in fulfillment of the Lord Jesus' words in Matthew 22. You're familiar with this. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. If that's truly the case, we're worshiping God. Because when we love Him as we ought, again, we're going to be humbled before Him. We're going to be submissive to Him. And, and, and so on, all right? But habits, all right? So what can we do? And I think we touched a little bit on this maybe the other week. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Um, and then that Psalm 100, by the way, I'll just give you this ahead of time. We might try to look at this one next week. There are specific lists of things in there that you could call acts of worship. So just giving you a heads up, you can look at that ahead of time. But habits, all right? I mean, there's, we, we, we should try to foster, cultivate right habits in our lives and even habits for worship. Um, there are times, you know, we need to set aside in our lives to, we use the term, think, have you ever thought about this? I was thinking about this this morning, not the first time I've thought about it, but, you know, we often use the term having our devotions. What's the word devotions mean? I mean, think about that. But oftentimes in our devotions, we never really worship God. We go through, whether we read, whether we even pray, I mean, we, we do things, but we're not really worshiping, being devoted to Him. But there are things we can do, all right? Let me just read several verses here. Uh, I mean, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's part of worshiping God. Um, because the goal there of putting, God, of putting God's word, making it part of our lives so that we do the right things, we respond the right way, all this is so that we don't sin against him because we want to be close to him. We don't want something to come between us. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 9, that's Psalm 119, 11, Psalm 9, 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. All right, there you could reflect on the fact, David, if he's the psalmist in Psalm 9, uh, he's saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you, I'm going to brag about you, and I'm going to show forth your marvelous works. In other words, talk about the good things, the great things that God has done. All right, uh, Psalm 11.1, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. Putting your trust in God. Real worship of God means we're trusting Him. We have faith in Him. You, that, that message that Brother Gibbs uh, preached, um, you know, he talked about those three things, about being in the secret place. Now, Now my mind's going blank. But uh, anyway, uh, what were those three things now? That's bad. Uh, it was just there, and then now it's a blank. And none of you have had that happen yet. But uh, 
anyway, um, God does all things well. He's in control, and we need to praise him. It's kind of really wrapped up in the same idea, all right? I mean, all of those are, and I think you could make other statements along with those three, but, um, but the point is, again, it's, it's our heart is drawn to magnify him. It's, it's really the whole is he's big, we're small, and that's, that's the desire of our heart. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to stay, no matter whether we, you know, it's in response to something good we've received from him. We thank God for our salvation. We should thank God for our salvation. But at the same time, even when, you know, we don't perceive that we've received something positive from God at that particular time or for a period of time or whatever, He's still who He is. No matter what. He's still God. All right, and again, there's a lot of things here. Let me, let me move on here. Um, I called this demonstration of praise and worship to God. In verses 4 through 7, you see several statements, and then in verse 12 also, uh, of how our praise is to affect others. Look at verses 4 through 7. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. Down in verse 12, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. The focus in those verses is David's talking about worshiping God, praising him, and in the context so that it will affect others. In it, the first part of that, verse 4 there, is one generation to another. So passing that on in our families. All right? And then, but even beyond that, all right, just general. You, you realize one of the most powerful testimonies to a lost world is a Christian praising God? Even when that person, the person looking on might think, why in the world are they praising God? I mean, that's a powerful testimony. And I think many times we, I'll say, but me, I know. I've, I've missed opportunities to magnify God before others because maybe I felt sorry for myself at the time. Whatever. But, again, the whole point of worship, we, need, we, we should live in an environment of worship in our hearts. That, that should be what our, you know, our life is all about. All the other things just kind of fill in the gaps, so to speak. But worshiping God, that should be it. All right, let me, let me jump down here. Determinations, this is the last point here of, this, of the outline. Determinations for praise and worshiping the Lord. Now, what I mean by this is, okay, why? Well, again, we could just say He's God. But notice some of the things specified in this psalm. In verses 1 through 6, particularly, you see this theme. In fact, in, in, in my particular edition of the Bible here, all right, uh, the, the heading that's inserted by the, whoever put this in here, I don't know, but the Bible publisher, whatever, all right, they put 
under Psalm 145. They put God's unsearchable greatness as a subject, I guess you would say, of this, all right? And you certainly see that in this psalm. I think there's more than that here. But notice, again, in these first six verses, particularly the first two are the, the, the heart, the acts here of, you know, what, extolling Him, blessing, and praising. But then notice verse 3. And you see this, this particular phrase many times in the psalms, by the way. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's quite a statement if you think about it. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And you might think, well, that's kind of just a trite statement. Well, it's not if that's our, real, if that's our heart's desire and attitude. But think about that. What, what else can you say? What kind of vocabulary can we use or do we have to possibly talk about how great God is? Other than just to say, He's great. He's greatly to be praised. Again, there's a number of psalms that use that statement there. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. All right, again, one of the reasons in this psalm why that should determine that we worship God is because he's great, his greatness. Now, again, in some, some ways, you know, we, we associate God's characteristics with acts that we see. Right? Now, obviously, he must be great in order to do great things, okay? But again, I, I, I do want to delineate that we need to be careful that, you know, worship is, is toward God and his person, not necessarily toward his blessings to us. It's right to thank him, okay, that, and that could be part of worship, but, but that should limit our worship is what I'm saying, Okay? but His greatness. I mean, He's eternal and infinite. You can see that alluded to in the first two verses there. And again, I have other references I'm just going to skip over for now. You can see also in verses 4 through 5, He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You think about those two points. Uh, all right, God does all things well. He's in control. All right, He's in control because He's omnipotent and He's, omnipre and he's omniscient. I mean, he can do, he's in control. He is the one who ultimately is going to have his way in this world. Now, he's given man freedom to operate and, and all of this, yes, but that doesn't make him any less sovereign. You know, the Calvinists are so worried that God's sovereignty is at stake if man has some kind of decision to make in this. God, in his sovereignty, gave man not just the ability, but the responsibility to make decisions. It's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. <laughs> and man will be held accountable for, the, you know, for the, the choices that he makes and so on. It's a responsibility. It's not just a privilege, right? But, but God is the one who's in control. He's omnipotent. He is omniscient. I mean, when, if, if I, I think I've referred to this before, but the, the Friday church news notes that are sent out by David Cloud, again, some of you might not be familiar with that, but 
at least for some time, I can't remember for how long he's done that, but at least in, in, for some time, in every one of those now, he's included something that's uh, kind of you know, a note about creation science, an example of something. I mean, it's amazing when you think of these, what, what bees do and you know, the human eye. And the, I mean, but the point is, think of that. I mean, it's, it's hard for us to understand this, okay? But God did all of that. He designed and planned all of that without putting forth effort to plan it. <laughs> he didn't have to sit down and have a brainstorming session. Okay, what do we, you know, I mean, it, it, we can't imagine. We can't understand that because that's not us, right? That's certainly not me. Uh, but he's um. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient. I keep wanting to say omnipresent, which is true, but that's not what's referred to here directly. All right, but notice also, number three, his righteous judgment in verses 6 and 7, again, speaks of his, his, uh, the might of his terrible acts, his greatness, the abundant, uh, he says, they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. One of the great characteristics of God is He's righteous. He is right. Everything He does is right because He is right. How do you determine what's right or wrong? God. God is right. Anything that's not like Him, after Him, is wrong. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that Satan has done from the beginning. He's the great counterfeiter, right? He mimics certain things that seem to be right, but he perverts them. They're not right. I mean, endless examples of that. All right, but then uh, talking about God's greatness, all right, then, then notice God's goodness. And there's a difference, all right? Goodness is more, uh, well, anybody ever read the book, The Knowledge of the Holy? It's, it's, a, it's a good book. I, I've haven't read it for a long time. And in fact, the other week I was looking for my copy and I can't even find it anymore. But it's a, it's a good book. A.W. Tozier was the man that wrote it. I think he was associated with the Christian Missionary Alliance movement. But the book is all about, it's just, it's just talking about the attributes of God. That's all it's about. And it's, it's well worth the read. It's not a real big book, but it's rich. Um, and, and he... He presents the attributes of God in a way that's unique from most any other presentations I've ever seen um, and, and, and all. But, you know, there are what, in theology, if you want to say, there are what's called the natural attributes of God. In other words, just characteristics that this is what he is, all right? Um, and, and there's a lot of things that would fall under that, all right? But, for instance, God being righteous... That's a natural characteristic of God, natural attribute of God, right? He's, he's right, he's, he's holy, even the fact that he's love. That is a natural attribute of God. Now, then there's another category that would be called the relative attributes of God. Now, in other words, this is how God relates to his creation, to us, and so on. And that would be words like grace, mercy, all right? God is love, but what does that mean? You know, uh, I mean, people have all kinds of ideas about love. 
But again, they're counterfeit generally, they're counterfeit ideas. But when God is merciful, when God is gracious, when we see that, that is, that is God's love related to us. That's how he demonstrates that quality of himself to us, to his creation and so on. So his goodness, and, and his goodness probably pertains more into that kind of a realm there, all right, but God's goodness, you see that in verses 10, 7 to 10. You see God's glory in verses 11 through 13. This is associated with worship, right, because we want to glorify Him. You see this here about talking about His glory of His kingdom, His power, uh, His mighty acts, all this, all right. And then verses 14 through 21, I wish I had a few more minutes to look at these. I don't, but you can see um, God's grace, here, specifically in these verses, just look at a couple statements. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, verse 14, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. I mean, God helps people. God intervenes. You realize there's some people that believe in God but think God has nothing to do with us in His creation. That's an amazing, an amazing heresy, <laughs> I mean, you know, to think about. Um, God is very involved. It's amazing how somebody could believe in God but think, He has nothing to do with this and with us? I mean, you know, it's obvious that God is intertwining with His creation. But you see statements down here, through, really down through the rest of the psalm, about this, and, and God helps them, and, and there's some of these, there's conditions in here. For instance, verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. In fact, uh, verse 20, The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but the wicked He'll destroy. There's a statement in there that I was trying to find, and I can't see it real quick, so I'm not going to drag that out because we need to close. But... I mean, this psalm is just full of these principles regarding worship. And this is the, you know, the, these things we've been talking about, this is where we need to live. This is where God obviously wants us to live. And it's in, in our best interests to live there. Because when we're resisting Him, we're resisting His will. And I'm not talking about being unsaved. But as a Christian, we can resist Him. And anytime we let pride have a place in our lives, we are resisting Him. God resisteth the proud, but He gives grace to who? The humble. I mean, but this is so important that we have the desire, the practice, and a life of worship. Worshiping God. He's big. We need to be small and low. No matter what all that entails in the specifics of our life, that's the best place that we can live. And we'll be the, if I can use the word, happiest for it. There's a, maybe next, next week, maybe we'll take a little time to go. There's a particular New Testament passage I was going to go to to show some parallels uh, with this psalm, I think. But we'll uh, perhaps do that next time. But Worshiping God, it's so, so important. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for just, well, we praise you. Let me praise you for who you are, your greatness, your, your glory, your majesty, your, your power.
but Lord, obviously we ought to thank you for your goodness to us and, and your grace, your help. We do have so much to praise you for. And far too many times we, I definitely am guilty of it, we neglect that. Help us to live there, to learn to live there, to cultivate that in our lives, I pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.